Hi, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I am a psychotherapist in Chicago. I am a professor at a couple universities. I am a singer in a wedding band. And gosh, I do so many things, I can't even name them. And you probably don't even care. You just care about this podcast. You're like, Sarah, get to it. So, Welcome. If this is your first time joining us, I want to let you know a couple places that you can interact with us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. And honestly, I don't do Twitter all that much. I'm there, but I don't do that much. Um, So you can find us at Head Heart Therapy, which is my psychotherapy practice, or you can find us at Conversations with a Wounded Healer if you search for both of those. If you like this podcast, we would be so, so, so appreciative if you would be willing to make a donation on Patreon. Again, you can search for us with Conversations with a Wounded Healer. And or if money is something that you don't want to share right now, just share the love and share the love by sharing the podcast with a friend. Or you can review us and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can do the little star thing, which is amazing. And you can also write something, which is even more amazing. I mean, it's It's all wonderful and amazing. The fact that you're even here is wonderful and amazing, and I appreciate you so much. But let's get down to today's interview. So today we are talking with Claude Kayamit, and I was fortunate enough to meet with Claude through the NARM Training Institute, and I'm also the host of the podcast for the NARM Training Institute called Transforming Trauma, and that's how I met Claude initially, and we have since become friends, and so I asked him to be here with us today. So let me tell you a little bit about Claude. He is a clinical social worker who has experience working with trauma in substance abuse treatment and low-income families. Claude is an award-winning psychotherapist receiving the Minority Fellowship Award from the Council of Social Work Education for his work with at-risk teens. Claude is a certified clinical trauma professional through the International Association of Trauma Professionals. Claude is also a NARM-certified therapist working at a residential treatment center for teenage boys and families. Claude believes in the healing power of conversation, allowing him the privilege to help people overcome obstacles to being happy, healthy, and connected. So please enjoy my conversation with Claude Kayamit. Three, two, one, contact. <laughs> da, 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 da. Are you as old as me? No. Uh, oh, wait. How do oh! I answer that? <laughs> like, you see, it's you, being recorded now. You set dog me up. House. <laughs> that was such a setup. <laughs> it was. It was. That was funny. I just fell right into it. Fuck 10 seconds of silence because I think we just got to start right there. That is hilarious. It's like, you're welcome, listeners. There you go. Yes, you're welcome, (laughs) listeners. Welcome to Claude. You just heard me get into a trap and like (laughs) fail miserably. (laughs) And boom. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it. And I'm glad you're here. Hi. Yeah, I'm glad I'm here, too. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, now that we've gotten a good laugh out of the way, do you want to tell listeners who you are and what you do? Yes. Hi, I'm Claude A. Kayamit. I am a clinical social work intern, currently a individual therapist at Family First Adolescent Services, which is a residential treatment center for teenage boys with substance abuse and mental health disorders. I am a passionate, not only consumer, but also creative communicator around issues surrounding social justice, systemic racism, all forms of oppression, whether it's through homophobia, sexism, and all that. 
my goal is to kind of bridge those gaps to my practice. But I also want to sort of embark on this journey in a parallel sense with my own personal spiritual growth and my practice. And I'm in this position where as I get older, I want my life to look like these values that I hold dear and they can be expressed in different avenues in terms of what I do for work, what I do on the side, if it's not quote unquote my job and in my, my personal life, my relationships. So when you get old like me. Oh, oh, <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like Godfather. As soon as I try to get out, they pull me back in. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I thought I was Amazing. free. And then whoop. <laughs> Amazing. But in all seriousness, I think if we're not marrying all aspects of our lives, then we're kind we are out of alignment. So I just love the way that you express that. Yeah, I think that's kind of the theme that I was thinking about talking about today was like this existential conversation around who am I as a human being? Who am I as my identities or my traumas or my relationship to my traumas and all that? And I think like this whole George Floyd conversation, it's like I connected and I am sort of maintaining this connection with my black identity, but I'm also, you know, like this weekend Father's Day, like I was there at my parents' house teaching my dad chess. And connect four and my mom cheats in uno i found out <laughs> apparently <laughs> and it's hilarious that is <laughs> hilarious <laughs> and, of and, all and, games yeah right it's like it's not that serious just pick a color like <laughs> right right <laughs> just draw say four uno. linda I come know. on <laughs> <laughs> oh man she's gonna <laughs> she's, she'll call up and be like yo you're you're <laughs> she'll email Your you friend like, sucks. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah don't listen to him he was like <laughs> oh man yeah, so it's like that these things are happening at the same time. And like I was like connecting to the joy of just being who I am. And I can hold that at the same time, hold the urgency of what we needed to be doing in terms of the justice front. And that my experiencing of joy and gratitude and connection is actually a work towards justice because like I'm living away from the traumatic relationship. I'm not objectifying myself. Right. I'm, I'm seeing myself as a whole human being. And I think that's kind of where I've been sort of chewing my head around. It's like, you know, how do I find these moments of presence that are coming from a place of like I'm a human being with these different aspects of myself and different seasons in my life? And I, I just hold that and just accept that existence, you know? Yeah. Well, let's back up for a minute because I want to hear kind of the the journey to who you are now. And you said something to me before we started to record, if it's okay if I share, you essentially said, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for wanting to be with me. And, you know, you said when you were younger that you couldn't even fathom that that would happen. And so I'm curious the road from there to here. It's, it's a long road. You know, I, I used to never think that my life was exciting externally. Like I used to think that like I don't have these intense dramas and all that kind of st stuff, which I did, but I didn't see that at the time. Mm. And so in my mind, I was always sort of present and thinking and feeling and sensitive, right? In a sense mm -hmm. of like everything was a thing, you know, internally. Mm -hmm. I, I felt everything. 
And that came with its pros and cons. Like on the one hand, there's moments where I really experience just even the most intense joys in something simple because I'm really present. But then when it hurts, it hurts. Like I feel it. Just other people, they're able to just kind of move on or whatever that is, right? So I was so hyper aware of my own low self-esteem or my Mm. own confusion and my own thirst and pursuit of these greater things like I always like my favorite place is a library because Mm. it's like a regular old library I can walk in and it feels like for me it's not just books it's like all these people all this sort of Mm. uh, all these ideas all these places I can I can go in one place I can just be and everything else goes away and I'm just Mm. in I find these little moments you know of presence Mm. so like those experiences were really beneficial for me in my life and people in my life that I I was talking about to you before, like people saw me in an authentic way versus like we talk about this with the norm stuff. It's like my parents can see me, but like there's certain things, aspects of me that I didn't feel safe to sort of sort of show. So for a long time, I didn't want to be who I was when I was in my mid. I mean, I struggle with even currently now I struggle with depressive disorder. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm diagnosed with that. And so that's I didn't know at the time, but I've been struggling with that since I was a teenager. But then Mm. in my early to mid 20s, it wasn't a good look. (laughs) You know, I mean, on the outside, it was like I Mm. graduated. I was great in college. I straight A's in undergrad. I graduated. I got recruited from a pharmaceutical company. I did a lot of sales. I was Mm. making money. I did. I checked the boxes. I was in shape. Right. But I was completely disconnected and miserable internally. Because I was seeking out these things that I thought, okay, I'll be happy when I get the relationship, when I look a certain way, then I'll feel okay with myself. Right. Right. And I hated myself for who I was, but I couldn't be someone else that I wasn't. So I was like trapped in this sort of bind. So that led to a breakdown, <laughs> which always happens. Right. right. Where you, you're just chasing. Like and you just, do. And everything falls apart. The car just stops. Like the relationships fail. You're just in this sort of existential dread. Here comes the depression. Here comes the suicidality, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And here comes this place of like, I can't be this way anymore. Mm. Right. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I really... And Jesus, even now I'm thinking about it. It's it's like I finally admitted that I wanted to connect with people. Right. I finally came like I am lonely. I am like I I was so afraid of that word. But when I came to that point, I was like, I want to connect, even though I'm fucking terrified of it. That's where I found therapy. Right. Mm. That's when I found mental health groups, support groups. Right. And that's where I found intimacy with other people and with myself. Mm. And I related to myself in a different way through love, through being seen, being heard, through compassion, through space (laughs) and through laughs and through a lot of hugs, you know. And so that experience which sort of shifted, it's like this transformation. I was like, how can a conversation, how can two people talking save someone's life? Mm -hmm. It blows my mind, you know. So. I'm quote unquote healed, right? But that's just like, no way. Right? You, know, yeah. you know, though, you're, you're in for a treat, son. You got another <laughs> five right? more years to go, right? Or like the rest of your life, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm like, okay, I can't go back to doing sales and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but I don't know what else to do. But there's this part of me around talking to people, connecting and expressing myself. Like people were like, why don't you try to do that in your life and be a therapist? And I know that path worked for me because like when I came into grad school 
and I started doing the classes or whatever, it just felt, it just clicked. Like it didn't feel foreign, but mm-hmm. it was still the first time I've heard it before. It's right. weird in that way. And people, and then again, people saw me in that. People were like, have you done therapy? Have you, uh, are you like a, th-? like, I'm like, no, I just, it just sort of flowed. I access that sort of state. And something that my direct supervisor said to me, he was like, any job or thing, it's like, it's not about completing the task. It's just about an opportunity to express yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. So like I see my job, it's not about I do therapy and I, this is just a cool opportunity for me to be patient with people, for me to be kind to people, for me to connect with people. Some people can do that as an accountant. I do that (laughs) through therapy. right? Right. I came into that. And so along the way, I've had to... And I still do struggle with the staying tethered to the purpose of things, like to be in the world, not of it. That's my Bible, right? Like I want Mm. to, I know I'm learning who Claude is, but I'm also not trying to be attached to who Claude is. Right. Actually sounds very Buddhist. No self. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like these things in the world, these concepts, like I understand like, especially when you're unpacking your own biases, like even my trauma, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of old biases around how to engage with women, how to engage with older people, with people of different sexualities, people with different body types, all that kind of stuff, like the programming, like, okay, like how much of that is not me? How much of that is me in mm-hmm. this way? And then how much of that is, do I want to just find out something new? Right. So that kind of path, I'm learning that and, and still having to function in our society, right? And be an adult and all that stuff. <laughs> right. And I'm, it, they don't see the quotation marks, but they, <clears> they, <throat> they, they can hear it. It's like, I think oh. they can hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like, okay, I, I get it, right? Like I'm, right. I'm, But I also don't get it. <laughs> so, yeah. So then after this experience with graduating and doing therapy and internships and other jobs, it's like the mantra that I sort of figured out for myself was like, Self-care isn't this intellectual piece for me. It's like I will now walk a path where the most important thing for me is my state of being. And if anything jeopardizes that, if I'm in a job or a relationship or whatever that's taking me towards a place of like disconnection and like where I was, like I, I'm done. Like mm-hmm. goodbye. Like I am now in marriage with myself. Right. And so mm. I had to come to that theme now in my 30s versus before it was like i need to find something to get by through life i need something to sort of opiate to like to sort of like numb me through life so i can get through versus like no i want to live life in a whole and healthy way in a safe way mm-hmm. and i want to experience life and would never want to sort of disconnect from it yeah. so anything that leads me towards disconnecting from life i need to sort of move away from Mm-hmm. So are you in, in recovery too? Mm-hmm. substance recovery? Oh, OK. You said opiate. And so I wasn't sure if that was part of your history. I was trying to say it was like I was I needed something to numb. I always yeah, try to yeah, like yeah. use things and like numb myself through things, oh, yeah. to get through things. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I just wasn't sure. No, it's yeah. OK. Because like I feel like people, it's like it's either addict or not. But it's like the, the DSM oh, has <laughs> different. There's like mild, uh-huh. <laughs> moderate and severe. Everyone oh, in yeah. treatment is severe, but we got some miles running around. <laughs> oh, some, yeah. We got, you know, just three out of four or <laughs> four out of six criteria. Like, hey, wait a minute. Exactly. <laughs> One more, you would be admitted, you know. That's right. why I was at a certain point. Like, I was sure. in that sort of misuse place. So, I think a lot of us are there at one point in our lives or another. Not everyone, but a lot of people. 
Yeah. Yeah. Last time I worked in a treatment center, we all kind of used to joke like in our 20s, we absolutely would have been considered an addict, you know, just mm-hmm. because of the DSM-4 criteria was different, too. Yeah. Now yeah. we at least have the modifiers. Yeah. I read this stuff. I'm like, come on. Like, you're trying to cast this narrow net. And it's like, I know people. Right. <laughs> you know, and I even think about like even the conversation with like racism. The first time I was reading DSM and I was learning about delusions and I'm like, racism qualifies as that this is a delusion right. like you're not in objective reality but the thing is like we don't classify it as that because too many people are racist so then it's like everybody would be diagnosed right <laughs> exactly right I, I heard that concept from this great podcast from uh this interview with april harder a therapist mm-hmm. in uh, mm-hmm. arizona she's amazing talking about like traumatic narcissism and racism and that kind of connection but it's just like how these concepts, like we're all in this sickness, right? Mm-hmm. But with these people who are this sick, like this, we put them over here. But I'm right. all around like, wait, we're all sick too. Why are we putting over here? And so like, I feel like I, it actually was a way for me to connect with people in a way and to, for me to empathize with people. Right. Because so. if you've never been through anything and it's I always tell my clients, empathy is understanding the feeling instead of understanding the experience because mm. if as a therapist we would have had to go through all of the experiences <laughs> that all our clients do we'd be dead yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so I would make it yeah right but i can connect to desperation i can connect to depression i can connect right. to hopelessness right all right. of those things easily and the trick is is like being appreciative of those experiences that got you that connect like the right. less so even for me, like I'm grateful for those depressive episodes, I could say, because I've stared into the void and came on the other side of it. So right. I know this sort of the depression gives you perspective on things. And that's how I check in with myself. Like even mm. today's a great example. Like I had four hours of sleep last night. I'm like, I didn't eat any breakfast. And I walk in like I, it's, we're short staffed. We got a bunch of mm. stuff to do. And like I come in the meeting and I got the case manager there and he makes this like joke and I like joke back. And I check in on myself like, okay, I'm good. If I can joke, if I can Mm. like from a genuine place, even Mm -hmm. though all this is happening, okay, I'm all right. Like I can, I'm feeling this experience. I'm tired and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not identified with it, right? Right. Because I know Mm -hmm. what it's like to be identified with that ability that sparked to be present, to connect, to joke. That's not a granted thing that could be taken away. And so that kind of adjust my level of appreciation for things you know Mm, I really love how you say that because I'm always super honest with listeners here because I think it's really important to me to be transparent I was experiencing this terribly hopeless day yesterday but I was also like you talk about kind of that awareness on the outside I was aware like this isn't me like this isn't the real me this is something that's happening and it's like when you have a cold you appreciate so much more the health that you had right before you got that cold (laughs) and that's exactly how I felt yesterday I was just like okay this fucking sucks and I am in so much pain and actually I prayed I'm actually Mm. telling people I prayed I've been really leaning into Al-Anon lately and so I was just like God please help me Mm-hmm. And yeah. something, something lifted today. Today I am okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's like it, even when you say it, like I felt it. Like it's like this. This is like an embodied experience that you get after coming up from the other side and being right. present to like, oh my, here I am. I am on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. You have this emotional connection. And the flip side, like I'm Friday, I was like, I'm not. 
I'm not feeling it. I'm off. And mm. later on that day, I'm eating a cheeseburger and I'm playing Sp- Spider-Man from PlayStation and I'm loving it. I'm like, I'm having such a great time right now, <laughs> uh, but I'm like present to it. Right. I'm yeah. not doing it to escape. Like, I feel bad. Like, I, I'm like, wow, I'm really enjoying myself in this. Mm-hmm. And that like anchors the experience. And so mm-hmm. then like that awareness is like, OK, like, wow. I am constantly checking the temperature for myself from a place of just being intimate with myself versus a place of self-criticism or panic or all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think the embodied experience, that intimacy, that relationship with really being compassionate with yourself, that's how you get big shifts from an individual perspective and from a societal perspective. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to know how you feel about the the term healer in terms of what you do. Hmm. Good deep That's breath. Yeah. So wounded. Does it mean scarred? Does it mean like I have a wound and I'm not continually bleeding, like, but I'm still able to function? Or is it like I'm it's a wound, but it's resolved because I'm thinking about like, if I'm wounded, right, I came on the other side of that and I'm healing someone else's wound, but maybe it's not about healing. Maybe it's just about being with people who are wounded too. And maybe like wounded is we're alive together. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I specifically don't define it for people because I think that's what's so cool about hearing how people respond to healer and wounded mm-hmm. healer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what feels right? I'm a healer in the sense of I help people move through the pains that I've been through and that I still go through and mm-hmm. understand that I'm in pain and I'm alive and I'm okay. I'm, mm. like, I'm, I'm still worthy. I'm in pain. And I'm alive and mm. I can still be with people. And wow. it, I was doing a session with a, a kid about him being lonely. He, he, his last girlfriend was the eighth grade and he's the you know, 16 year old. And he feels so inadequate not being. Mm. I was like, I relate to that. Right. And just because I'm not at that place now where he's at doesn't mean it doesn't still come up. Those sort of feelings. Right. Right. So what does that mean? Does it mean like I'm healed? Right. Yes. And no. Right. Right. But I can I can relate to him in his pain and still connect with him through this pain. And that's where the healing is. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not defined by his pain because that's what happened to me. I was right. so obsessed or preoccupied with my pain. I was drowning in. I couldn't see. I couldn't separate myself from it. Right. Even though people would say, yeah, I've always loved the qualities and all that kind of stuff. It's like I all I saw was my pain. All I saw was my trauma. And I was so afraid of everyone else seeing it. But like mm-hmm. where I'm at now, even with the George Floyd stuff, it's like I'm more than just that pain. I'm more than just that trauma. That's not mm-hmm. just the only sound of my story. Mm. So it's like I guess healing would be like to sort of have people come to heal their vision of themselves. Ooh. <laughs> Nobody's ever answered like that before. Woof, that I, I mean, like. I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, chew on this stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do you know the Enneagram by chance? It's like a, to call it a personality test is kind of dumbing it down, but essentially it's a personality test. And I, I have a hint of what you might be, but I can't tell you because you're supposed to figure it out on your own. But <laughs> Another trap. I keep no, no. <laughs> no, it's so I I love it because it actually the thing about it instead of like 
pigeonholing you, it frees you to be like, oh, that's a thing that my number struggles with. I'm a three and threes always want to be like the star and doing everything right and out in front of people. And Mm. there's all kinds of traps that I fall into when I recognize like, oh, that's what I'm doing. That's a thing that threes do. And I can like be compassionate because that is one of my wounds. That's another thing. I love this stuff. I love like finding out there are so many ways a person can see something Mm -hmm. or there's so many ways that you can articulate something or express something and connect. I love that. Like, oh, wow, there's another one for me to identify with. Mm-hmm. Like, I, even like with everything going on, I'm on social media, I'm saving. I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Of course, that makes sense. Oh, this podcast. Why didn't I think of that? I heard the podcast with you and Jar Collar. I was like, this is amazing. I'm writing things down. Like, right, right. I'm like, I can connect with this person mm-hmm. uh, through this thing. And like, it's like I'm hearing something that is, again, familiar, but yet so radical at the same time and i love that right and even while all this is going on this is the opportunity that people can sort of learn from each other and connect from each other like as if we have this one mind it's crazy right you know and i'll just note for listeners because you were talking about the narm podcast which is transforming trauma so transforming trauma you just gave them a little commercial good job and they didn't even have to pay me for it (laughs) you're welcome i guess (laughs) you can you can listen to claude and he was referencing john carlo on transforming trauma but let's go more into the racism stuff because i we've talked about that on transforming trauma but not here and Mm -hmm. and we're a couple weeks removed from kind of the you know i don't want to say like we're out of the crisis but Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like the apex of the moment which was so electric and charged and and so where are you now yeah i'm looking at it from a place of how do we transform this into an embodied shift especially if mm-hmm. we're talking about like white privilege and white people it's like the charge comes from this emotional piece right for the first time right and then there's but then before there's been the intellectual piece right mm-hmm. how do we then move it to a place of an embodied understanding and expression of like okay like i'm moving away from a place of white supremacy or, or racism right. or all that because it's like it's, i've shifted right and I think what that looks like is to really examine this clinical piece that I think it's just it's amazing of the traumatic narcissism that's involved in racism in the sense of like mm-hmm. the narcissism creates this objectification, right? Like white people have objectified themselves, right? Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. white, right? And other people of color. And that's mm-hmm. been internalized from people of color. And we've also been in this sort of relationship in a traumatic relationship, we're reenacting these pieces. And I think that, like, for me, it's like, I can still connect with what's happening, right? Like, donate and post and educate and still, like, understand, like, when I'm having dinner with my dad, I am moving away from this piece. Like, I'm not going to keep talking about this or or relate to him through being Black because I'm more than just a Black person. I'm also Mm -hmm. a comic fan. I'm also a movie buff. I love food. I love music. I'm a human being. And that breaks away from this dynamic of seeing each other only through our traumas or seeing each other Mm -hmm. only through Mm -hmm. these objects, right? And so I think that this is a really big opportunity for people to say like the movement of justice comes from disruption, right? Mm-hmm. And it comes from changing your story and changing the story of what's happening 
And so that's where in a clinical standpoint, you do that even with trauma work with a person, right? Moving beyond your trauma, Mm -hmm. but you can still then hold that that happened to you and hold the other goals that you want for yourself at the same time. Right. And because that gives me like I'm able to be an individual in relationship to what's happening with George Floyd. Right. Mm -hmm. I can relate to the black identity and I can communicate and I can articulate the structures of what supports that. Mm -hmm. But other people have different perspectives like the other podcast that I listen to and all that. And like we're all the same in this, but yet it's different at the same time. That's a beautiful thing. Right. And I think recognizing that and recognizing that that's going on while we're still laughing and sharing memes and all that is us hopefully moving towards a complex and holistic view of who we are as people. This this is an existential yes. movement as well. It can be. That's the, that's the opportunity there. This could be a spiritual existential yeah. movement as well as a systemic justice movement mm-hmm. and a clinical movement, Absolutely. which I love too. I love well, you talking about all of the different things we're trying to hold at the same time and that, you know, we can share memes and laugh while this is all going on. I think I think part of what we're really being called to now as a society is to step out of any sense of binary because that's part of the problem of what to do, right? A lot of white people are like, what's the right, quote unquote, right thing to do? Mm-hmm. And there are a trillion answers to that. I, yep. went, I went to a training and they said, there's no right answer, but there are definitely wrong answers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I love that, right? Isn't that perfect? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Right. But it's like in, in the right answer, though, we can find new answers, too, in, in mm-hmm. that direction. It's like, I think for mm-hmm. me, intimacy is what's lacking. Because, again, it's like, what do I do? It's like read this book or mm-hmm. take this training or, or watch this video or documentary or whatever. But it's coming from an intellectual standpoint because we're so segregated right. in our society. Like how many people have intimate, vulnerable relationships, not only with the people in their group, with themselves. With themselves. And, mm-hmm. and with people of color. Uh-huh. That's It gets like lower, right, as right. you go down. It's like, how can I, I want to change racism, but I don't have an intimate, I don't know any black people from an intimate, not being friendly, right? Or engaged, but intimacy and sharing our humanity and our vulnerabilities and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with doing trauma work in the relationship with the survival of a trauma and a therapist. That's how Mm -hmm. they're working through the trauma and through the sort of sharing and shifting their perspective of this trauma. That has to happen in a social level. Absolutely. And I also want to say, don't go out and find a black friend right now because you want to do this work like you should have had an established relationship (laughs) before you do that. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, definitely put that in there. Yeah. 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 We don't want people like emailing you being like, Claude, will you be my black friend? Yeah. We don't want that. I haven't heard from you since eighth grade. Now you want to. Right. No, that's a form of objectification. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So then, okay, with white people, have we see, I said we. I know. I was like. Right. Because like I'm including. Yeah. I Even though I'm not white, but like I've also struggled with when I connected with myself of like who I am, who is Claude mm-hmm. and this identity of whiteness or blackness. How do I relate to this? Like, is this an identity that's like I'm being mm-hmm. contained by like my humanity can't be contained by this label. Right. I've been reading a lot of James Baldwin and he says something crazy. It's like, it's white people who created the vacuum of the N-word, being the mm. N-word, right? You've created this box and you've put black people in it. And the question asked, he says, is like, why did you create that box in the first place? 
because right. I'm a man. I'm a human being. Right. But why did you need to sort of put someone that, that shows there's something happening within yourself? Mm-hmm. And I think in our society, we are living in an objectified society because of capitalism, because of all these different pieces. And so, right. and especially with white America being the mainstream, quote, unquote, right? Right. There's a fusion of the identity with the objectification versus with black people. We have a buffer. And then particularly immigrants as another buffer because it's like we've been transported to this world versus not sort of internalizing those messages. So the first step, because when you talk about like this work, oh, examine your biases. Don't just You can do that and examine your values and your pains and your joys and examine like what kind of life you want to live, what kind of intimacy you want to have in your life and, or why right. don't you? What's getting in the way of that? And a right. part of it could be this, your attachment to the identity of whiteness or your lack of awareness that you're even attached to the, the identity. Well, most likely, yes, that and because we don't even really know what whiteness is as a society. Yeah. That's a thing that has to be explored more. Yeah. And as you were talking, the thing that's been striking me a lot lately in, in multiple conversations on this podcast and transforming trauma is I'm just thinking about like in NARM, we talk about, you know, the wounding happening developmentally with children and the attachment to the caregiver. And I just I'm more and more I'm recognizing that white supremacy is the family of our culture that we've all been living in. And we've all tried to hold on to this attachment and now we're experiencing this really painful disidentification and mm -hmm. trying to figure out how the fuck to survive yeah mm -hmm. and figure out who are we without this relationship it's the same right. thing with a trauma survivor with someone who's gone through shock trauma right. like an assault or an accident it's like i know this has caused me pain but that's my story moving away from that i don't right. am and the conversation is like, you're more than just what happened to you. You're still a person and you can still figure that out. But you have right. to understand, like, you have to have that intimacy about letting go of your relationship to yourself and your relationship to what happened to you. And now I'm just I'm thinking about I feel like everybody who listens to this podcast is already liberal and I haven't gotten any hate mail about all the <laughs> anti-racism stuff we've been doing yet. So we're on <laughs> on on a good. Right. Right. So so far. Um, but it's just making me think about like a Southern person who identifies with the Confederate flag. Right. Mm -hmm. And like they and their guns. Right. Like they don't mm -hmm. know who they are without that Confederate flag and without those guns. And and those are just objectifications. Yeah. And it's all just projection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the question is, like, what are they not connecting to? What is how right. is that serving them? Right. right. What is it moving them away from? And it's that existential threat. Right. Because we are all as human beings. We're the only animal that's aware of our death. We're the only animal that knows our insignificance in the grander universe. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that could be even where what could be driving the trauma for the first place, especially at, like white people. It's like if I'm out of control, how do I take control? I objectify people. I do control mm -hmm. the land. I, I do property. Mm -hmm. Like you're this, you're that to try to push away from the void of like, is, is this this futile thing? And so it's the same thing with the flags and with the guns or any sort of thing. It's like if I am left with just my consciousness, with just my humanity, now what? Why am you here? What is the point of all this? That's scary stuff. And that's a painful question. Exactly. Yeah. And right. in response, we've created institutions, right, that have caused mm -hmm. comfort and pain. Religion mm -hmm. and all these identifications and all that about like 
this is how the world is. And if you threaten that, right. I will kill you. Right. Right. And so it's that kind of response. And that's that's the narcissism because it's like, I, you know, it's just like everything. I felt weak and powerless. Right. So I'm going to try to control so I can get my strength. As okay. human beings, we are weak in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. we are also incredibly amazing, creative, connective, miraculous kind of beings at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. I think people haven't tapped into that enough about how much potential and how much amazement. Like I watch a tasty video, you know, and I'm like, who thought of all these ways to do sugar? It's like a cake. <laughs> It's sugar. It's all sugar. But it look. I'm like, how did this is amazing? You know, everything yeah. that we've had is someone's idea. That's yeah. an amazing feat, and mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful thing. And we don't have to be afraid of the unknown. We don't have to be afraid of our pure human existence because that's what depression is. It's like I'm afraid right. of this. There's mm-hmm. no point in this. It's sad. It's all pain. You're mm-hmm. so identified with that. It's like life is too scary. I need to move away from it. It's like no. Right. Like you can have these unknowns and appreciate the beauty because it just is and we are just are it's also like tolerance of the discomfort of the unknown of the big questions and tolerance of the non-binary i'm very curious this is total i'm making this up so this is no basis in reality but i have a curiosity about the evolution of the human brain because like we are meant to objectify in some ways. Mm-hmm. The brain needs to say, this is mm-hmm. this, this is that, right? right? Right. We needed it early on, but I think I think again, that's like something is changing right now where we're supposed to evolve to the next level where we don't need that anymore because it doesn't keep us safe. It actually hurts us instead of keeping us safe. When you're saying that it's reminding me the power of now, Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he talks Mm -hmm. about this piece around like we've used the mind as a tool and the tool can work at some points. We need to we need time to know, okay, this is when the sun sets and this is like but then we've used that tool over and over and over again and we've lost sight of the present moment. That like all of this isn't real. It's made up, but we've forgotten that. Right. And so like yes, the brain has evolved to sense of like, okay, the sophistication but we're sort of using that same tool in all these different applications that it may not be, it's not appropriate for it. Cause like my dog is just like, what time is it? It's now. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? What time it's food is time. It? Yeah. It's, yeah. That's I'm, and he's just there and mm-hmm. he's okay. You know, and right. we can have that too and use the tool appropriately. We can use it to connect. And I think as we've evolved, and I mean, just that first step of just that little, we fell into the trap of the illusion of disconnection. Right. Like I'm separate from the earth. I'm separate right. from the universe. We didn't yep. know at the time. And it's just kind of cascaded. Right. Yep. Now we can sort of sort of shift that and be like, listen, our brains can be used as a tool for connection or disconnection. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because our brains are involved when we hug and nothing's happening and yet it feels transcendent or something mm-hmm. right it's the same brain that does that and a spreadsheet it's not my brain <laughs> i can't i can't do a spreadsheet <laughs> it's somebody's brain though <laughs> oh, man. You know? it does have to be either or so. right well and it's also making me think there's a book called the psychology of spiritual awakening 
It's fascinating. And it he's written a bunch of books, and I can't remember the author right now, but he basically talks about there being a fall from this connection with nature, with the universe. And that's when intellect was the number one driver. And again, like now we are being called to combine them because like what power if we truly respected the earth, if we truly respected the wonder of humanity, where would we be? Like we would be in awe of each other all the time. We'd be loving each other all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's someone TED talk, but I think it was Simon. I don't know when I mispronounced his name, but he was talking about like Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, not I have a 10 point plan. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I have a word document I want to share with you. Right. It's like, I, <laughs> here's how we're going to do. It's a slideshow oh, for man. civil rights. He's, he didn't, he didn't come from that. Oh, he came from, God. it's an intellectual process, but yet it's transcended time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it wasn't like foo-foo stuff. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. from his mind and yet it was beyond his mind. Right. And that inspired other minds to move towards something that you can actually see, right? right. You can see the the dream and we still have a lot more to go, but you can see it mm-hmm. and still have the awe and the beauty of it. But we have to remember to always sort of check back into that. Like even this conversation, right, is possible because of his dream. Right. And it's, it's like it, this is a big deal. And also not a big deal at the same time. You know right. what I mean? Right. But we can always have that awe if we're present and we're in the moment and if we're grateful and if we're compassionate. And I think that's how we move towards a place of like incorporating these principles in our in our lives. Yeah. Now that you said that, it just made me think because I, I love podcasting so much because I'm just in the moment like I can't be thinking about what else is happening because I have to like listen to you to figure out what's the next thing to say but and that's also therapy too like we are so like my clients are like how do you remember like my aunt's dead dog's name and I'm like I don't fucking know because I can't tell you what I had for breakfast (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah I got sent an email (laughs) and it's like oh (laughs) right right yeah yeah. And I love this conversation and, and, and I love that this clinical piece can be applied in this way because there is that magic in that moment. And it could we can understand the mechanics of the speech and, you know, the neurobiology that happens in the session and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's still that mystery in that as well. And I think it's OK to like name that mm-hmm. and have the, the mechanics at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy that the clinical community or the therapy community is having a conversation around these big systemic yeah. issues because we can really use this power, quote unquote, yep. to apply these shifts or help support these shifts, you know? Exactly. Well, we're coming close to the end of the hour. So do you want to tell listeners how to find you if they want to continue a conversation? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Family First, AliceServices.com. Look at my bio. I'm on there. I'm working on getting a Psychology Today profile. So look out for that. And yeah, I guess that's about in terms of how to find me. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to say that we, we didn't talk about? No, I would just impart to the listeners to just, you know, when we talk about, when we say we like therapists, like you have to connect with your Usually it's in the, in the frame of pain, like connect to the sadness, connect to the grief, the anger. But connecting to your joy from an authentic place is also healing, too. Mm-hmm. So the intimacy process isn't just a necessary evil. 
you really get to live life vibrantly from the simplest things and even in the grand things. So um, yeah. I, I hope that they're going to you know, try to embark on that journey towards themselves and find mm-hmm. people who can support them in that in a safe way. Yeah. Well, you've brought a lot of joy to my evening, so I really appreciate this. And you're <laughs> thank just you. you're just brilliant. I just really love every time I get to talk to you. So thank you for being here. Same, same. I always enjoy this. I, I appreciate talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on your platform. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. Wasn't that a great interview? Claude kicks ass, doesn't he? I hope you really enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. So to find more information about Claude, you can visit our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, bye-bye.